Happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week 11 in the Sun Belt saw Coastal Carolina clinch the East Division while Troy inched closer with a win over or of their own in front of the largest crowd in program history. Both Georgia Southern and Southern Miss failed to become bowl eligible for the second week in a row while App State suffered a loss to Marshall and Huntington. ULM shocked Georgia State in Atlanta while South Alabama and James Madison each picked up big wins. Special shout-out to Carlton Marshall, who spearheaded a record-breaking day by becoming the all-time leader in Division I history with a 22-tackle performance versus Army. Caden, Week 11 in the league brought storylines galore. Give us your thoughts about the play this weekend. Week in and week out, this conference, I think if you just look at college football week in and week out and these other conferences and the games they have and the conferences that the Sunbelt has, I think as far as parity goes and good competition and good games, I just week in and week out, I think the Sunbelt's proving it again and again, and you see it again this week. Obviously, a lot of great storylines. We were right about some of our picks, wrong about some of our picks. A lot of teams covered and kept things close and interesting. So can't wait to talk about it with the people. I think this conference, week in and week out, like I said, proving again. There's always good ball to watch for the Sunbelt. There's always storyline. There's always players that are performing at a high level. So I'm super excited to get back into it. Well, as you've come to expect on every Monday episode, we'll start with the Sunbelt scoreboard segment where we'll review the results from around the conference in week 11. Right after that, Caden and I, we're going to dive into some of the big matchups, the juicy matchups from this weekend. Uh, We'll start with the game that took place on Thursday night, the final midweek game, Louisiana taking down Georgia Southern at home in Lafayette. UL came in as a three-point favorite. They win that one going away 36-17. Ben Wooldridge had a big game. Now Louisiana and Georgia Southern each at 5-5 on the season. They need wins down the stretch to get to bowl eligibility. Old Dominion versus James Madison. James Madison went into Norfolk as a a 7.5-point favorite. They walked out with a 34-point win, probably the biggest statement game of the weekend. James Madison back, Todd Santeo. As Kurt Signetti put it, was 80% healthy. I'd like to see him back at 100% before the end of the year, but Old Dominion falls to 3-7, and seven, no longer eligible for a bowl. James Madison also not eligible for a bowl due to the transition. They're 6-3. and three. Georgia State versus ULM in Atlanta. Georgia State came, came in as a 13.5 point favorite. They've been one of the hottest teams in the Sun Belt. They walked out a loser 31 to 28 as ULM snapped a 19 game road losing streak. Georgia State falls to four and six. ULM improves to four and six. Terry Bowden has that team playing some good football right now. Arkansas State versus UMass. Kane, a game that neither of us really wanted to spend much time watching this weekend. It took place in Jonesboro. Arkansas State came in 17.5 point favorite. Fun fact for those listening, Caden was going to take UMass to cover before we skipped over that pick. So it would have been a good pick. UMass falls 35 to 33 in Arkansas State now 3 and 7 on the year. Troy hosted Army in Veterans Memorial Stadium in front of the largest crowd in Troy program history. Troy a 9-point favorite. They would win just 10-9, scoring 10 points in the second half to come from behind. The Trojans not winning pretty, but they continue to win. Seven-game winning streak now up to 8-2. and two. Marshall versus App State. And, Caden, I know this one hurts you a little bit. Marshall in Huntington. They were trailing. They were not the favorite in this game, but they walked away with a 28-21 win over App State. Marshall now 6-4 and four on the year. App State sitting at 5-5. Five and five. They need to win their remaining two games to become bowl eligible. Marshall's going to need another win, even though they're 6-4, and four because they played two FCS programs. South Alabama, Texas State in Mobile. South Alabama lost in San Marcos in four overtimes last year. They came in, handled business, covered the spread 138-21, to and tied Troy in the West Division standings with a game to play. They're 8-2. Texas State falls to 3-7. Coastal Carolina, Southern Miss, the nightcap on ESPNU. 
Another strong performance from the Shants. They walk away winners 26-23. They're 9-1. and one. We'll get to some big news about the Shants in a moment. Southern Miss falls to 5-5. Five and five. They've got two games left to get to bowl eligibility. Here's a couple of notes about the weekend. South Alabama was the only double-digit favorite to cover the spread in this one. Georgia State, Arkansas State unable to do it. For the second weekend in a row, Southern Miss, Georgia Southern failed to reach bowl eligibility. Kane, I thought this was interesting. Home teams continue to play well in the Sun Belt, 6-2 and two in Week 11. Georgia State and Old Dominion, the only home teams to suffer home losses. And finally, uh, Coastal, and I'll just go ahead and break the news. It just came out, Coastal Carolina ranked 23rd in the country. Uh, they have now become the second Sun Belt team to be ranked at some point this year after James Madison was ranked after Week 7. Caden, I'm out of air, but what a weekend it was in the Sun Belt. It's a weekend to remember, and I think a lot of those stats and nuggets, we might have to use them going forward the rest of the season when we make our picks because some of those things are definitely holding strong, and we're seeing some trends in the right direction as far as some of these teams and what they're bringing week in and week out, whether it's them at home, whether it's them favored or not. So might have to look and give give ourselves a little taste of our own medicine going forward, making some of these picks, because we can only be mad at ourselves, I feel like, at this point, what the conference is giving us and what these teams are giving us in November playing some of their best football. Well, Caden, before we jumped on this episode, I told you that we were going to talk about Georgia State ULM first. I've changed my mind now that Coastal Carolina is ranked. So Coastal Carolina, Southern Miss is going to be the first game we discuss from the weekend. It wasn't pretty, but Coastal Carolina survived 26-23 to at home. They clinched the Sun Belt East title after Georgia State had lost earlier on in the day, but they put the cherry on top and picked up the win anyways. This is their second East title in the last three years. Kane, we've talked about this before. The Shants play up on national television. They're 18-3 and in televised games since 2020. The question I had coming into this episode was, will they be ranked? They are ranked at 23. Uh, and Caden, you and I were discussing before we jumped on here, there is a path after two-lane loss this week that Coastal Carolina has a chance, if they can win out the rest of the regular season, beat Troy in a potential championship game, that suddenly Coastal Carolina becomes the highest-ranked group of five team remaining, and they would be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. We'd love to see it as fans of the Sunbelt Conference, and we want the best for Coastal Carolina. And we'll talk more in the future about how they're going to maybe navigate through that path without Grayson McCall because it's looking like they're playing a different style of play. They went with Jared Best in this one, gave him the start. We thought maybe it was going to be Bryce Carpenter, but they used him more of as a change-up quarterback. He ended the game with the second-most carries. But got to give a shout-out to Jared Best, the junior quarterback. He played pretty well in this one. He had two turnovers, two interceptions that you don't want to see. But you really saw him complete his passes and do what he had to do. He completed half of his passes, got some big-time plays to Sam Pickney and Brandon and out of the backfield and I think you look at this formula now that they're having in this offense that they're running without Grace McCall very clear that they're going to lean on the run game and I think they did an effective job of it they used a bunch of different running backs and different running options for them end of the game with 170 yards so I think you talk about them maybe going into Virginia in a place like that and how they're going to win I think they're going to have to win leaning on this run game and leaning on their defense that also played well down the stretch in this game Here's a hill I'm willing to die on as we dig into these rankings a little bit. Tulane UCF each two loss American Athletic Association conference members they're both ranked ahead of Coastal Carolina. UCF, after the big win over Tulane, jumps up to 17. Tulane down to 21. Another two-loss American team at 22 in Cincinnati. So the Sun Belt not getting a lot of respect, but Coastal Carolina in at 23. Uh, you asked me before this where Troy was. They're about five spots out. South Alabama also received votes. So the Sun Belt has three teams probably inside the top 30 right now in the country. Uh, when you look at Troy, South Alabama, and Coastal Carolina. So we'll see how that plays out the rest of the year. Caden, you mentioned it a moment ago, and I wanted to just get your QB report card in this one. Grayson McCall misses the game. Jarrett Guest was the starting quarterback. Bryce Carpenter also played, but Guest had a pretty good game. I want to know what your thoughts were on his performance. 
He had a good performance, like I said. He did what he had to do. This team, without Grayson McCall in this offense, isn't really going to ask much of him. He only threw 14 pass attempts. You want to see those two interceptions go away, but I think one of the most promising signs is how well he started the game. They got 17 points on the board right out of the gate, and I think it was really a tale of two quarters in the beginning. You got 17 unanswered points from Coastal, followed by 17 unanswered from Southern Miss. But if you look at this quarterback position at Coastal Carolina, Grayson McCall, a player like him, is only going to elevate it with his style of play. He's the highest and most efficient level that this offense is going to be run at, and it's very hard and a tough act to follow for anyone who's going to have to run it after him. And you're seeing that with Jared Guest. I think he's doing the best with what he has. I think as long as he doesn't turn the ball over and they're running the ball well, he's going to know the playbook well enough and be able to do his things. And then when you have Bryce Carpenter coming in as a changeup to keep the defense on their toes a little bit, it could be effective for them going forward. It's obviously not the best case scenario for them, but I think he's making the most of it and this offense made the most of it in this game. You kind of answered my next question, and we, it was going to be about the rushing game, and is that a sign of things to come? C.J. Beasley, Reese White combined for 110 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, Coastal runs for 170. I think you've already answered that question, so we'll move on to Trey Lowe. He had a nice day, and this was a bit shocking. I sent you a text on Saturday. Southern Miss only played one quarterback this weekend. That has to be a win down in Hattiesburg. Well, Frank Gore Jr. did complete a pass in this one. Our super back, our guest to the front of the pod, he did make something happen. He completed an 18-yard pass, but you have to give it to Trey Lowe. We talked about the struggles of the quarterback position for this team all season and how much you have to normally rely on your defense and on your run game if you are a Southern Miss quarterback, but he didn't have either. The nasty bunch wasn't quite as nasty as we've seen them be in the past. The running game for the second week in a row kind of got stifled, so a lot was on Trey Lowe's plate, and he stepped up to the occasion and did what he had to do. He almost threw for 300 yards. That's the most this season for Southern Miss, and he he gave Brownlee, his receiver, this one of his best days he's had in his career, only five yards shy of a career day. He ended the day with 123 yards. So you have to give credit for him. He obviously made the most of his situation. I think maybe it's a sign of what we can see going forward for this team as far as quarterback play in the next two weeks. Well, and another great sign on that day as you dig into just how comfortable he looked. He also completed passes to five different receivers. You mentioned Jason Brownlee's idea. Coastal Carolina, probably the wrong strategy, not guarding Brownlee early on in that game, but uh, he ends with 123 yards. Uh, Caden, I might differ with you a little bit. I felt like the Nasty Bunch didn't play a bad game. I mean, they've set some lofty expectations, but I think Coastal and Southern Miss each had pretty good defensive days. Coastal particularly did a nice job of holding Southern Miss down on the ground, just 52 yards rushing. That's the third week in a row that Coastal has held teams under 100 yards. But here was one thing that I'd like to see Coastal do more of moving forward. They failed to force a turnover for the second time this season in this game. I think that's going to be a big key, particularly with McCall out. Meanwhile, Southern Miss, like I said, not a bad day. 11 TFLs for the third time this year, also had a pair of sacks, and they were able to pick off Jared Guest twice. So I felt like the defenses played pretty well in this game for both sides. Well, I believe Trello fumbled the ball at one point towards the end of the game and that Coastal got their hands on that. So they did get to capitalize on that one turnover, I think. But Coastal's defense, and I really think Southern, Mif- De- Southern Miss's defense as well, you talked about it. They has, they set high expectations for themselves. 26 points for them. They still had a good day. And I think especially in the second half, we saw both of these defenses really duke it out and play some tough football. So credit to both of them. I think if both of these teams could really play second half defense in this game like they did all season and maybe bring some of that to the last two games that they have it'll be very promising for them especially on third down both defenses did a great job of getting off the field but I agree with you I think if we can see Coastal bring some more of that swagger and intensity on defense that we saw down the stretch and they can cause some turnovers and get their hands on the balls that would be a huge help especially without having Grayson McCall in there as far as being able to shift momentum and get their offense the the ball on some short fields moving forward. Well, Coastal Carolina, they will travel to Charlottesville next to play Virginia out of the ACC. Southern Miss faces South Alabama at home next weekend. Kane, let's move on to the game I told you we were going to do first. I lied to you, and that's Georgia State versus ULM. And 
If you like stats, if you like storylines, this game had it all. ULM won this game despite having 235 fewer yards on offense. They didn't take the lead for the first time until six minutes to go. This, as I mentioned earlier on, this was ULM's first road win since 2019 when they beat Texas State in early October of that year. They'd gone 0 for their last 19. So that's huge for Terry Bowden's squad to be able to pick that up. Caden, we oftentimes, you know, you forget the specialists on this podcast, so I wanted to lead off here. And ULM, their kicking game was huge in this one. Caleb Sutherland, 3 for 3 for field goals, hit a career-long 54-yarder that made it 23-28 to with 14-13 left. You got to give the kicker some due. You have to give him some credit, especially when you look at the points in this game. The offense only scored one touchdown, yet there's 31 points on the board for ULM. So you look at the score as a fan, maybe as a box score, and you're like, wait, how did they get these points? Well, it was it was two players. It was their kicker, and it was their linebacker, Quay, um, sorry, Quay Drake. They both <laughs> produced for this team 14 points for one of them, 11 points for another of them. So shout out to those guys. And I think we talked about Trent and the Rodgers going into this one in this quarterback battle. Their offense was a little slow. Didn't really get things going, but they got their field goal kicker into field goal range just enough times to pull out this win. So you got to give kudos definitely to the special teams and the other ways of scoring outside of offense that ULM was able to pull off in this one. Yeah, Drake, huge day. As you mentioned, he returned a block punt for 23 yards in the second quarter and then also had uh, the 34-yard interception return for a touchdown with 623 left that ended up proving to be the game winner. So he might be one of those guys that maybe at the end of this episode is in the conversation for your defensive pick of the week. We'll see how that goes. You mentioned Chandler Rogers there. Caden, the dude has been a conference monster this year, 269 yards through the air in his last five games. He was responsible for nearly 1,400 yards passing and eight touchdowns. Uh, this was actually, though, his first game since September where he didn't throw a touchdown. That game was against Louisiana. Caden, for a little bit of context about how good Rodgers has been, he's actually tied with Chase Bryce for the fourth most touchdown passes in conference play. He's actually fifth in yards. Rodgers having a huge campaign for ULM, and that's a great sign moving forward. It definitely is. And you look at him as a player and how he's grown really throughout the season. It's been very impressive and good to watch. And he was not afraid to throw to a bunch of different targets in this game. He hit all of his receivers. It seemed like that were on the roster. Him and Tyrone Howell had that connection per usual. They didn't get to necessarily that explosive 100-yard number days that we're expecting seeing out of Howell, but still had some great explosive plays. He hit some 20-yard and 30-yard plays to a lot of his top guys. It just you got to give credit to Georgia State defense. They played a lot of good bend on break football, especially on third down and keeping them out of the end zone. But they were still able to make just enough plays across the board to win the game. So I think if you get a combination of him playing well and the defense and special teams and everything else clicking around him, we could see this team start to put together wins like we've seen in the past two weeks. Hey, this next guy we're going to talk about, I think he's a fan of the pod. I think he's listened to some of your takes, and that's Darren Granger. Because you were very skeptical about him midway through this year, and he has continued to rack up big game after big game. He throws 25 of 40 in this game, 349 yards through the air, had just the one touchdown, ran for 50 more on the ground, 399 yards he was responsible for in the game. It was the most in his career. It was two more than when they played Charlotte back in week three. Darren Granger is having a really strong end to the season, and that's, I think, what makes this loss even a little bit more surprising is how well he's played lately. Yeah, I chose not to bet against him because it's been biting me in the butt for my picks. And then, of course, the time I do, they lose this game. But you have to give credit for him. I think he's really came into his own with this offense and him plus the running game. They've just gotten really good at moving the change. We saw them convert a ton of fourth down conversions as well. He used his legs for some of those plays and those conversions. So huge shout out to Darren Granger for proving us wrong from what we thought in the beginning of the season. But seeing him have a day where he has 40 pass attempts and puts the team on his back and puts the passing game on his back. He's got a great relationship with Thrash. Now they're consistently putting up numbers week in and week out. Have to give kudos to him and got to give his flowers for sure because he earned them 
You know I love giving shout-outs to former podcast guests, and Tucker Gregg deserves one. He only ran it 11 times for 36 yards, but here's why he's getting mentioned. Two touchdown runs in this game. He becomes the all-time leader in Georgia State history with 27. He passes Albert Wilson. Also impressive of note, Marcus Carroll, another strong game, had over 100 yards in his second straight. But really the last point, Caden, that I wanted to make on this game was despite the loss, Georgia State's defense played pretty well in this game. They allowed just 300 total yards, their third best total of the year. They held their opponent under 100 yards rushing for the fourth time in the last five games. Uh, They held ULM to just three of 12 on third down, and they've held opponents to nine of 40 in their last three games, but it wasn't enough here. And that was because in some ways the offense for Georgia state kind of let them down. Yeah. And I think shout out to Marcus Carroll. We saw him coming on late now and being really kind of taking the place of Jamias Williams in that backfield and really getting into that role and getting hundred yard games now back to back weeks. But no, as a whole, you have to give a shout out to Georgia state. They played well in this game. I mean, they, their offense outgained ULMs by 235 yards. <laughs> ULM only converted a couple third downs in this game, but they just didn't make the big plays that they needed to win this game. I think the big plays are what's been carrying ULM these last two weeks to their wins. You look at just a couple key moments. There's only one interception in this game, but it ended up being super costly. There was only one field goal that attempt that was a long one that you get the stop and it just doesn't go your way. So Georgia State's been playing good ball, especially when the beginning of the season when they were 0-4. They've really turned things around and putting together some good games overall. They just got outlasted in this one. They just didn't make one or two big plays and ULM made a couple big plays that went their ways and that's just how the ball game goes sometimes. Here's what I'm watching for down the stretch. And Tavius Lane had an interception in this game. He tied Quavy and White. They each have 11 career interceptions. One of them is probably going to end their career as the all-time leader. It'll be interesting to see who comes up with a pick down the stretch. Uh, Georgia State travels to James Madison next weekend. ULM travels to Troy. Uh, so a couple of good games to keep an eye on there. Caden, we've saved this game for third. I know you wanted to talk about it early, but that's Marshall versus App State. Marshall at home. They win 28-21 despite App being favored. Uh, This was 75 Saturday up there, and if you don't know what that is, this is a game that they play yearly to honor the 75 Marshall football players that died in that tragic plane clash back in November 14th of 1970. Uh, Marshall led wire to wire in this one. They never trailed, and they avenged a 31-30 loss last year in Boone. Kane, I think the biggest storyline for Marshall continues to be the late-season emergence of Cam Fancher. The question I have for you, is he the answer? He's now you know, thrown for two touchdowns in this game for 225 yards, also ran for 37. Uh, He's looking really strong, and Marshall might have found their quarterback answer for this year and maybe moving into next year. Yeah, and huge shout out to App State, too. I know they had a sticker on the back of their helmet to regard the 75, and they did their thing and had a good appreciation and good attitude about the weekend. I know Marshall's head coach was talking about the fans turnout for App State as well, and it just seemed like a good, respectful game and just a hard-fought battle and one that Marshall definitely won, and a lot of that was because of Cam Fancher. We talked about going into this one. A big question mark was could he get some red zone efficiency up? Could he get the ball in the end zone? And he did that in this game. I think the three scoring drives that he had made some huge throws, made some big plays. I know he had a 70-yard explosive play in the air and then also used his legs when he had to to keep these drives going. But when they got in the red zone, he had the two touchdown passes that were huge for this team and really separated themselves in this game. I think if you look at both sides of the ball really and as a whole, Marshall just played a little bit better in every category of the game. And I think we talked going into this one, the play of Trace Bryce versus Cam Fancher. Cam Fancher just got the best of him in this one. He made a couple more plays for his team that elevated them. And I think when you do look at him as far as a quarterback moving forward for this team, 
been talking about his legs and the different things he can do versus Columbia in the start of the season off. And I think he's definitely proven with this win and just a couple little things he's done here and there that he's the guy. And it looks like the Marshall team plays confident around him. And I think that's one of the biggest telltale signs of him maybe being the quarterback of the future for this team. Caden, I bring up this next point because I know that this part of the game is near and dear to your heart because you started your career on special teams, but this was a special teams battle. App State picked up a, a muffed punt and scored with 5.15 to go before the half. Marshall then blocked a punt in the end zone for a touchdown in the third quarter, and then towards the end of the game, App State returns the kickoff 96 yards. This was a game that was really impacted by special teams, and that's always fun to see. Yeah, special teams, it's one of the parts of the game that isn't talked about until it's up in your face and you can't help but talk about it. But you have to give it to both of these teams. I think the special teams coordinators both cook something up on both sides of the ball. Because anytime you see a return touchdown, anytime you see a block punt, it's something that's practiced week in and week out and really throughout the whole season. And you just have to play your cards right and use them at the right time. So huge shout out to Milan Tucker for returning that kickoff for App State. Really swing some momentum that people maybe thought was going to be a difference in the game and maybe when App State starts to get some momentum and get the lead back, but then Marshall just comes right back and blocks a punt of their own and does their own momentum swift shift of their self. I think momentum was a huge part of this game and special teams definitely had its fingerprints all over it as far as momentum goes. Okay, now I hate to sound like we're kind of harping on this, but yet again, App State displayed that anemic offense. They've been good some weeks and then they've been poor on others this week held below 300 yards for the second time this season. They had 298 yards versus James Madison. The 293 yards that they mustered on offense was the lowest total this season. And they had, you know, just 116 yards on the ground. Caden, this is an App State offense that we've talked about at length. There's an identity crisis going on. They still want to try to run the football, but they're not having a ton of success. And they've yet to kind of take the leash off of Chase Bryce down the stretch. Yeah, it's very interesting, especially when you look at the beginning of the season and how up we were on Kevin Barbe, the offensive coordinator, and some of that creativity. And I think you're kind of just seeing a lack of that right now. I don't think App State's really leaning into their personnel the best they can right now. They did have a pretty good day running the ball, I think, compared to what other teams have done to Marshall in the past. But when you look at the passing game, it was a little it was a little weak. It just lacked variety, that some drop passes here and there. It just didn't look like they were clicking on all cylinders. And you also have to give a shout out to Marshall for really having their fingerprints on that part of the ball as well. I think they didn't give App State a yard. I think they played very aggressive. We saw some of their zone and man blitzes were very effective. I mean, Chase Bryce didn't really get to get comfortable all game because of that Marshall defense, and they stayed in front of the chains as well. They had App State in third and 10s, third and 15s, very hard things to convert. So as much as App State's offense didn't look that great in this game, I think Marshall's defense might have been more of the reason why we saw the performance. The Herd did a nice job, or actually, they kind of failed to do a nice job in this game. A little slow on the ground, ran for just 121 yards, their third lowest total of the season. It was actually the second time in the last three games that they've gone under 125 yards. I did want to mention, though, Kalen Laybourne rushing for his 14th rushing touchdown. Why did Marshall have a little bit of trouble running the football against this App State defense? Yeah, I think you look at their first drive of the game, the App State defense just wasn't very settled in there. They had a very good opening drive, 16 plays, 80 yards. Fancher and the run game were just cooking. And I think once App State kind of got to take a deep breath and settle in, they really matched Marshall's energy defensively as far as being aggressive, getting guys on the ground, really not letting anything go in the run game. The pass game, they let up a couple things and a couple of deep shots that ended up hurting them. But I think the App State defensive performance was a good one. I just think the three scoring drives were the ones that really got the best of them. I think if you take those three scoring drives away from the game, I think App State defense really played a complete game, but Marshall's defense just played a little bit more complete. And then instead of the two scoring drives that they gave up versus the three for App State, I think they just played a little bit better, a little bit tighter. But I think both sides of the ball were really getting after up front. And it was just a hard fought battle of defenses. 
Well, up next, Marshall travels to Georgia Southern next weekend. App State welcomes Old Dominion to Boone. And then boys from Boone, they need to win their last two games to become bowl eligible. They're going to need to take down Old Dominion and Georgia Southern to get there. So we'll see if they can come up and pull a rabbit out of the hat here late in the season to get back to bowl eligibility. We'll move on. Old Dominion versus James Madison. Caden, this one was built up as something that should be pretty close, and it was far from that. Uh, This was the first meeting between these two programs uh, in over a decade. Old Dominion without Ollie Jennings and Zach Kuntz. Now we've been told both of them out for the rest of the year. Ollie Jennings is going to need surgery. Uh, Old Dominion eliminated from bowl contention and good for James Madison. They snapped a three-game losing streak since they were ranked. Uh, Caden, I think the funniest part for me was listening to Kurt Signetti postgame and he said that Todd Santeo played 80% healthy this week. And last week he was just at 66. So what I'm going to go ahead and throw out there is that I'm doing this podcast at about 85% today. So I'm hoping by next week to be at about 92 and a half since we're throwing random numbers out now. But Centeo finishes 18 for 21, 304 yards, did run for a touchdown, failed to throw one, but a, a, a nice performance from him and definitely hoping that he can be back to full strength down the stretch. Well, I think Todd Santeo proved in this game that 80% of a Todd Santeo is better than most quarterbacks. And I'd like to say with you, Noah, 80% of you is also better than most pod ha- podcast hosts. So shout out to both of y'all. I think y'all are both killing it. And I think both of y'all at a certain level of health and effort can can do some great things. But no, you look at Todd in this game, it was very clear he was a lot healthier than he was in the past. I mean, the passes were hidden for him. He found Chris Thornton a ton of times, which is great to see him get some new life, 140 yards in the air for him. And the run game was cooking. It looked like good old Jamie and you that we're used to seeing per usual in the beginning of the season, taking care of business. So it was definitely good to see this offense kind of play to that potential that we haven't seen them play to the last three weeks and pick up where they left off from the beginning of the season. I got to admit, that was high praise coming from you because you're a guy who played most of your career at about 75% and you were still in (laughs) all-conference safety. So I got to admit, if I'm at 80%, I mean, that to me is all-conference podcaster. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, JMU did a nice job. They regrouped on defense in this game. They allowed just 227 total yards, which was their third best performance. That was something we talked about them needing to get back to heading into this week. They forced three turnovers, the fumble recovery, three interceptions. Old Dominion couldn't run the football just 78 yards after, uh, or they held them to 78 yards after giving up 244 last week. What'd you see from this James Madison defense? We saw that they play well. They've played well all year, but I think they play their best when this offense is cooking too. I think JMU is just one of those complementary teams, like I talked about before, where they bounce off of each other and they feed off of each other's energy when it comes from offense to defense. I think when Todd's cooking and the defense is cooking, they're a very, very hard team to stop. And I think we saw that in this game. Obviously, we've talked about the struggles of Old Dominion's offense, losing some of their big players now, especially is definitely going to hurt them. And I think James Madison simply capitalized on that. I think they got settled in nice and quick in this game. Didn't allow any points in the first quarter only how to field goal in the second and then the rest was history. So I think for them, they settled in fast. They kind of figured out that old Dominion's offensive attack wasn't going to really threaten them. And they just played hard and played fast and physical like they always do. And it just shows a little bit more when you have a healthy quarterback, Todd on the other side, doing his thing on the other side of the ball as well. Okay. And this has become a weekly bullet point in my notes. And so I almost feel like it's obligatory to mention, but greatness sometimes uh, can tend to be overlooked. Jason Henderson, 18 more tackles. After coming on the pod on Wednesday, he now is the new Sunbelt Conference record holder with 166 tackles on the season, his 10th double-digit tackling game of the year. He holds the record. Henderson still has two games to go. He's going to obliterate that record. 
And he obliterated a lot of people on James Madison. Look, James Madison won this game. They were successful on offense. But I know there's some players on that offense who, after the game, were like, yo, that Henderson guy, we might have won the game. We might have got some points on the board. But he got a lot of licks on us. So huge shout out to Jason for doing what he does per usual, racking up those tackles, running to the ball with that aggression. And I think your Carlton Marshall tech is just going to age well. I think we see him. We're going to talk about him going forward and the records he's broken and the thing he's done as a tackler in this conference. And I think Jason Henderson might be picking up right where he left off when it's all said and done. Here's another guy who picked up right where the other one left off, Brendan Clark. What'd you make of the quarterback change late in this game? Hayden Wolf gets subbed out for the final two series after throwing two interceptions. Clark came in in two series, threw an interception, and it was asked of Ricky Ronnie after the game, if we're going to see Clark start the next game, is it time to make a change with Old Dominion no longer being able to get to bowl eligibility? Yeah, I think you touched it right on the head of the end. The bowl eligibility is the most important thing. When you're Old Dominion, you're not really playing for much anymore. Maybe it is time to make some of those changes and see what your future is going to look like. I think it's a very hard position for Brendan Clark to be in, seeing that you don't have Ali Jennings out there, you don't have Zach Koontz out there, and you don't have a run game out there. So it's a very hard position for your quarterback to be in. But reps are a very important thing, and I think that's one of the ways you can get better as a team, as an offense, is to get those reps with your quarterback. So having a sophomore quarterback go in there, maybe play a little bit down the stretch, could be good for you going forward seeing that your season really is looking like it's about over with these last two games coming up. Well, Old Dominion travels to App State, a couple of teams that don't have a ton to play for right now next week. JMU welcomes Georgia State to Bridgeforth Stadium uh, next week. Well, we'll move on. South Alabama versus Texas State. And unlike some of the other big teams in the league, South Alabama did a nice job of handling business at home. They win this one 38-21, avenging that loss in four overtimes last year in San Marcos to Texas State. They led 24-7 to late in the third quarter. They're now 4-0 and versus Texas State in Mobile. And Carter Bradley had a historic day. We've been talking about him needing to have one of those big performances. And boy, did he bounce back in a big way. He did it to the tune of four passing touchdowns, which actually set a South Alabama record for passing touchdowns in a game held by Jank Bentley. Uh, he now has 19 touchdowns this year, which is the most in program history. Uh, completed 20 passes for 274 yards. Uh, he had a huge game, and that's good. That's a great sign for South Alabama. Yeah, we talked about in the preview of this game. We really wanted to see Carter step up and really not have to lean on LaDamian Webb as an offense anymore and see some better play out of him and see the play we really got to see him in the beginning of the season do. And I think him and Todd kind of had a similar week. They both proved that they were, yet again, two of the quarterbacks that we should be talking about week in and week out in this conference, despite some struggles we saw in some previous weeks. So it was great to see him hidden voice and hidden Lacey, hidden Jalen Wayne, all those guys getting them involved, had some very explosive plays to all those guys. And it definitely showed on the scoreboard. It definitely showed on the stat line. And I know South Alabama fans are definitely excited to see Carter Bradley playing like we saw him play in the beginning of the season that was leading this team. There's not a ton of history down in Mobile for South Alabama, but Carter Bradley rewriting Almost every page of the single season record book, he now needs just three completions to take the program record from Bentley, another 151 yards. He's become, he'll become the single season passing yards record holder. So Bradley having a big season down in Mobile, they're going to need that to continue and hope that Texas or Troy rather uh, slips up here in the next couple of weeks if they want to get into a title game. Uh, South Alabama in this game, Kane, they did such a nice job at shutting down Texas State's run game, just 87 yards on the ground. Uh, the Jags have now held seven of their 10 opponents this year under 100 yards rushing. Uh, Texas State had negative three yards at the half, just 27 yards of total offense. And Texas State failed to reach the plus side of the field north of the 50 until the second drive of the second half. This was a vintage Kane Womack defensive performance. 
That was a great performance out of those guys. I mean, you look at what they have up front and what they look what they have on the secondary. Hard to really just have them match up with a team like Texas State, and they proved that they belonged on the field. And they're the defensive unit that we've hyped them up to be all year. And I think this, this is one of those games, again, where you look at the defense, you look at the stat line, it might look a little bit closer, but it's just one of those games where their defense was playing well the first half, had a first half shutout, and then Texas State stole some, stole some points here, stole some points there at the end of the game. And I think that might not tell you as much of how good as they were playing. They had some of their backups, and I'm sure at the end of the game, just kind of closing the clock out and trying to protect that lead. But you talked about some of those stats. When you're controlling field position at that level, and you're playing defense at that level, and getting in the negatives as far as yardage goes for the other offense, can't complain as a defense. So shout out to those guys. South Alabama having yet another good defensive performance that we're accustomed to seeing now. Really, last thing on this game, Texas State continues their road woes. Now 0-6 on the road this year. They're going to finish the season defeated on the road for the first time since 2019. They'll return home for two final games next week against Arkansas State, affectionately dubbed the Toilet Bowl uh, in this (laughs) one. But South Alabama, uh, they're going to travel to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It was hard not to uh, laugh when I said that, but Um, They're going to face Southern Miss next week. Texas State, as we mentioned, playing Arkansas State. Uh, We'll move on to probably the most patriotic game of the weekend. Did you see the massive American flag, the Apache helicopters flying over? This was patriotism to another level in this game, Caden. I know it was an electric Veterans Day environment in Troy, 100%. And I think it was a huge shout out to the veterans and the things they've done for this country. And I think Troy just put it on display and they really elevated their platform and used their platform to elevate that. So shout out to Troy, of course, getting the win per usual in a defensive manner, but also salute to the soldiers and doing their thing before the game and having just a great game day environment. Probably the best environment across the Sunbelt Conference if you look at all of the home games this weekend that were hosted. 31,010 fans were in attendance at Veterans Memorial Stadium. Largest crowd in Troy program history. Big shout out there to Brent Jones and his staff at Troy, the athletic director, all the big things that they're doing. They're having a fantastic season. It's been fun to watch. The big thing, Caden, in this game, and we were watching out for it. We were cautiously hoping that maybe it didn't happen this week, but it did. Carlton Marshall does Carlton Marshall things. 22 tackles. He's now the all-time leader in Division I history. I'll say that again, the all-time leader in Division I history. He goes from walk-on to all-time leader, 548 career tackles, fourth straight season uh, with over 100 tackles. Caden, he was emotional afterwards, and he talked in the post-game press conference about coming back for his teammates. We heard Austin Stidham say something very similar to that earlier on the pod. It was neat to see that, but it was also neat to see him get this individual honor. It's huge for Carlton. I mean, he's had a great career and we've talked in depth about his story from being a walk-on to where he's getting now and what he's just done at his size and what he's done for his program. And it's it's amazing to watch. You don't get tired of watching a guy like Carlton play and you can't help but be a fan and can't help but be happy for him. I know every coach across the Sun Belt who's played even against Carlos, Carlton's probably just happy to see him get this huge achievement and I think if he doesn't come back for his sixth year, it's obviously one of those stats where we're seeing these stats now with COVID, with people being able to come back for their sixth year, helping them with these career numbers. But no one's earned it like this guy. I think you look at the hard work and dedication he's put into this program, and it was really just set up for him playing a team that's a triple option team on the ground, putting a lot of pressure on him as a linebacker to make a ton of plays in this game and do what he does and fly around and be around the ball all game. Just amazing to see and amazing to watch his career. And I think this will be a great cherry on top for this part of it, at least. But I know him as a leader and him as a teammate, for these guys trying to push for this conference championship. Now, I think he's probably glad he can get this record out the way and they can get their eyes more set on why they really came back. He didn't come back to break this record. It's great that he did, but he came back to lead this team to a championship, which seemed unlikely heading into the season, but him and this defense get another win again on his back and on his leadership. So huge shout out to him. 
Troy, probably the best story in the Sun Belt this year, and I am here for it. Uh, Troy did a nice job. They, you know, I'll use the word contained Army's rushing attack in this game. 275 yards on the ground, but uh, they were, they uh, was the third team in the last seven games to keep them under 300 yards. So count that as a win for this Troy Trojans defense. Gain this stat blew my mind. Army held the football for over 37 minutes in this game. The time of possession discrepancy was huge, but somehow Troy guts out a win. Now, Army did Army things. We talked about it going into this one. We knew they were going to run the ball a ton. They were going to control the clock a ton. And that's why you have some of the worries on the other side of the ball for Troy's offense that we'll talk about. But as far as Troy's defense goes, you can't really worry about any other stat in the book other than the scoreboard when you play a triple option team. As long as you can keep them from making those explosive plays and those explosive runs that turn into points for them. It's really all you can do, and you can't really complain. So a huge shout-out to Troy. I knew their disciplined front would do well in this game and that they would be able to get a lot of effective things done as far as keeping this game low-scoring, and they did just that. So shout-out to those guys. It's not easy playing a triple-option team by any means, but they made it look easy because they just simply <laughs> do what they do. They run to the ball, they play fast, they play physical, and they play gap sound. This defense, again, as they've leaned on them all year long. Caden, uh, this is great. We've talked about this stat so much on this podcast, but now Troy has finally ended the narrative. They have finally won a game where they didn't rush for 100 yards, and they had to lean on their defense, and their defense has been their calling card all year long. This was the fourth Troy win this season, holding opponents to 10 points or fewer. And if my memory serves me, this is the fourth win this year that Troy has had when scoring under 15 points. Their offense hasn't been that good, but this defense, we've talked about it, outstanding. They forced two more fumbles in this game. Yeah, our myth was busted. The the, the gig is up. We were we thought we were onto something with 100 yards, but it's finally broken. But I think, like you talked about, it just speaks more to this defense of Troy and how they've really been carrying this team throughout the season. Week in and week out, you're kind of waiting for them to slip up because their offense has had some struggles. Gunnar Watson with the turnovers, Jarek Deggie with the turnovers, not really utilizing Tez Johnson the way I'd want to. They used him the best they could in this game, but I think they could get a little bit more out of him. But Week in and week out, they prove that their defense is all they need, and they keep winning games with their defense and doing just enough on the offensive side of the ball. I'm convinced if Troy, def, Troy's defense held a team to three points, that they would somehow score five. Like That's just how Troy works now. That's the way they're operating, and you're waiting for them to slip up. But when you put together this many wins, I told you talking before the pod, it's looking like Troy is almost better at winning football games than being a good football team. So shoot shout out to them for just figuring out their formula to win, leaning on their defense, and putting together yet another close win on their defense. Last thing uh, really up is that they're going to face ULM at home in the final game. I felt like this one would have been a guarantee because ULM can't win on the road. They bucked that trend this weekend, so maybe things will get a little bit interesting at Veterans Memorial. But Troy, certainly playing their best football. They get one more win. They'll probably clinch uh, that West Division title. And it's looking like they're probably heading to Coastal Carolina unless some things get crazy down the stretch to play that conference championship game. Uh, but last up, Caden, Arkansas State, UMass, we buried this one all the way at the end. UMass nearly buried Arkansas State. It was 35-33 in this game. Uh, UMass, another crazy possession stat. They held the football for 41 minutes of this game. A-State uh, led by 15 in the third quarter. One quick shout-out on the pod, Marcel Murray passed the 2,000 career yard mark with his sixth 100-yard performance of his career, so good for Murray to get to that marker. Um, you know, Arkansas State, struggled to close out UMass in this game. They almost gave up the tie with 18 seconds to go on that two-point try. Uh, they were able to corral the ensuing onside kick, but they were outscored 14-0 in the fourth quarter. And we've mentioned the deficiencies of this Arkansas State team, but we haven't necessarily talked about the lack of wanting to win. And they it feels like maybe they displayed some of that in the fourth quarter in this game. 
I think you're right, Noah. You look at this game, and if you just watched it with your eyes, if you look at the box score, it's very, very clear that Arkansas State only won this game because they're a more talented team. I think UMass, especially towards the end and down the stretch, proved that they wanted to win this game a little bit more badly than Arkansas State, and it almost happened. It was almost a reality, and I think, like I talked about going into this one, that would have been a huge hit for Arkansas State, but I think, I'm not going to say this is worse than that, but I think this is definitely still a bad sign if you're looking at this Arkansas State program and how they won this game because it could have been a lot different. They could have played as hard as they could. They could have played winning football and won this game by a lot, but they didn't. They still let UMass creep into this one. They really leaned on their talent. And at the end of the day, that's really not promising going forward in the future. So I'm curious to see how the program, how the fan base, how really all of Jonesboro looks at this game and looks at how they close out this season going forward for them as a program to next season. This was a brutal offensive performance for Arkansas State, outgained by 200 yards by what some have called the worst college football team in America. They're now, they are now one and nine on the year. UMass threw for 300 yards on this Arkansas State defense. Caden, this blew my mind. Arkansas State, they win this game without converting a single third down. They were 0 for 8, and Kara Ritchie, who follows Arkansas State, put something on Twitter earlier this or yesterday. Uh, a great nugget here. Arkansas State, 2 for 33 on third down over their last three games. Caden, what do you make of that? It's just another one of the problems they have. I think their playbook and their creativity on third down has just not been ideal all year. I think James Blackman has been able to do his thing as far as scoring the ball, moving the chains every now and then at the beginning of the season. But the more they lose and the more those losses have been stacking up, the less and the worse and worse they've gotten on third down and really as an offense and really as a team. So I'm really curious to see how they finish down the stretch because these stack categories we see them not achieving and them doing poorly. And I think they could really get worse the closer we get to the end of the season if this team kind of just checks out as a whole and isn't really as engaged on third down and on every down and on every play on both sides of the ball, really. I'm interested to see how things go in Jonesboro during the offseason. Butch Jones came in, brought a lot of excitement, recruited a lot of young players. We were told all season long that this youth was eventually going to come around. That has not happened this year. It's going to be a second straight disappointing season in Jonesboro. I have to imagine Butch Jones is on the hot seat with a new athletic director, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Caden, we're going to do your favorite segment of our recap episodes, and that's your Smith Picks of the Week. I know you had trouble with a couple of these because of so many talented performances, but walk us through them. Yeah, let's get into it. On the offensive side of the ball, it was a no-brainer for me. This guy had a bounce-back game. We kind of manifested and wanted this guy to have a good game, and he proved that he was that guy that we've seen in the beginning of the year, the guy we came to know and love, and the guy that we have in this podcast. It's South Alabama quarterback Carter Bradley. Hard to deny his 20-for-34 performance, 274 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. A clean game, a clean performance. We talked about the records he's breaking and on the verge of breaking, and I think this was just a highlight of that. So huge shout-out to Carter Bradley getting that Offensive Player of the Week award. On the defensive side of the ball, you said it was hard. No, there was a lot of guys actually who had double-digit tackles left and right, a lot of great performances, a lot of guys getting their hands on the balls. I, I narrowed it down to two guys. I could have picked a ton, but I couldn't narrow it down to one, and I had to give a shout-out to two guys. I got to give it first and foremost to ULM linebacker Quay Drake. Four tackles. Not exciting, right? Just a four-tackle game for him. But he scored 14 points for his team, a 23-yard block return for a touchdown for the punt, 34-yard interception return for a touchdown. That was really the game-sealing one. When your offense doesn't perform, when your offense gets seven points and you can get 14 yourself and get the game-sealing win, that's really defensive Hall of Fame stuff. You're doing stuff that defensive players dream about having. He had a dream game. So shout-out to Quay Drake for having a dream game. But the guy who also has to get it with him is the guy who's had a dream career, and that's Carlton Marshall. 22 tackles in the game like we talked about, also becomes the NCAA all-time leader in tackles with 546. Just a huge shout-out to him and just an ode to him in his career. I think this is just 
scratches the surface of the kind of person he is. And I think the record that he broke and the things that he did in this game really shows more of that than anything. So those are my picks of the week. Hope everyone enjoys them, has been enjoying them so far this year and that these last two weeks hopefully don't make it as hard for me to pick with all the great performances we've been seeing in the Sunbelt this season. Well, I think that's wishful thinking because we're probably going to see some more great performances down the stretch. Well, that'll do it for our week 11 recap episode. Only two weeks remain in the regular season and the path to the Sunbelt title looks like it's going to run through Conway. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where we'll interview a soon-to-be-announced Sunbelt athlete. You'll just have to wait and see who is on the pod on Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening. We both really enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We certainly hope that you did too. If you did, please take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really helps us out. Lastly, shameless plug here, if you haven't already, Follow us on Twitter at, at Prairie and Smith. We consistently post what I think is some of the best content around the Sun Belt week in and week out about the Sun Belt and its student athletes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>